Welcome, everyone, to today's Meet the Artist program. My name is Cecilia Beam. I'm the HR Manager and Adult Education Coordinator here at San Francisco Ballet. And we have a little change of plans today. Um, uh, Lorena Fejo, who is going to join us, um, isn't here today, but uh, we have lucky enough to have Ricardo Bustamante and Polly Majeric, a soloist here at the, at the company. Before we get started, I just wanted to... I just wanted to welcome everyone and remind you that um, you can go to our website and see all kinds of fabulous things, uh, podcasts, uh, slideshows, behind-the-scene pictures. Uh, These are often podcasted, these interviews that we do for the Meet the Artist, and so you can check those out. Um, And so I hope you'll do that. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yes. So this is, um, today we're going to see program two, right? Right. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, the three programs, just an overview, if you could, Ricardo, about the three, progr- uh, three ballets we're going to see today. Well, I think it's a beautiful mixture of, um, of different styles. Um, Opus 19 was a ballet that Helgi brought back in 86 on his uh, first year of tenure um, as an artistic director. It's a fantastic Jerome Robbins ballet, uh, which shows a little bit of the style of the time in New York City with the neoclassical style. Um, it's, a, it's a ballet that is very, very demanding for the guy. Um, he goes on stage and he doesn't come out until 18 minutes later after doing I don't know how many variations and, how many, and so much partnering. Um, it's quite challenging. It's an abstract ballet, although within, within the... The structure of the ballet, you feel that there is a story to it. Um, I've, um, I've, I did ask Helgi, you know, were you, were you given some, some imagery of, of what you're supposed to represent? And he said, you know, it's definitely an abstract ballet, although you could really have so many interpretations to it. Um, I, it's not a ballet that I handled. Um, it, it, the first time that I was exposed to this ballet actually was um, during the premiere here at San Francisco Ballet. So David Karapetian is now my idea of Opus 19, who does a spectacular job. I was really, really amazed of how well he danced it. Now, um, you mentioned uh, Helgi. He danced this role. Um, it was made for him, this role? It was, it was made for uh, Brezhnikov and for Helgi. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he coached a little bit? Oh, yes, yes, yes. He had, he had a lot to do with, with the coaching. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, now, the premiere that we're going to see today is Ghosts, the Christopher Wielden Ballet. And um, there's wonderful notes in your program book about that ballet. One of the things that um, is mentioned in those notes is Christopher Wielden saying he really enjoyed the process of creating the work. Um, and that he has been able to slow himself down through maturity to enjoy the process as much as the big performance. Polly, can you talk a little bit about the process of learning a ballet and um, if that's something you enjoy and how that works? Um, Well, the process can either be very easy or very hard. Um, Some choreographers come in and they know exactly what they want and they set it, and it's very easy. And then other times, they come in with no idea, and they kind of watch and see how the dancers move and get ideas through the dancers, and that forms the piece. 
And for me personally, I like it when they have an idea. And I don't know, I find that's a lot more fun. And um, then there's pieces that have been done many times, and they have people come in and set them. And of course, you know, you have ones that you want to do your whole life, and you finally get the chance to do one, and it's very exciting, and you can kind of put your own take on it, because many different dancers have done the role, and, and that's always nice to find your own through a role. So there's a lot of joy in the studio, as well as the joy that we see on stage in the process. Yeah, there's also times where it's really frustrating, <laughs> and you break down and cry, and you leave and you're frustrated and upset and then you know you have to kind of just pick it all back up and come back in the next day and try to start fresh and usually it works itself out and um but there's always those ups and downs but nothing compares to um, um what it's like to learn to go through the process and then suddenly the retributions of next day after you know a phrase and you know like I remember working with Polly in um, uh, Fortsight's uh, Artifact Suite and how terribly difficult the movement seemed and how mathematical and how complex the piece. But then, you know, I remember seeing you like day in, day out, you know, the things that you struggle with one day, the next day you come back and you say, okay, well, I'm a little more familiarized with this and you can tackle it and you can be a little bit more challenging on, on how you manage your technique and so but the, the truth is, you don't really know how well you're going to do until you, you're there, you know? <laughs> so, Ricardo, as the ballet master, of course, a big part of your role is to encourage and to <clears throat> excuse me, mentor <clears throat> um, the dancers um, as they are facing challenges. And how do you do that in a way that really provides the support um, the dancers need? Well, first, I got to know what I'm doing. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's quite challenging with the uh, diversity of repertoire that we handled. Um, I mean, you're, today you see program two, and there's a neoclassical piece, and then there's a, a new contemporary piece by you know, Christopher Wilden, and then there's uh, Paul Taylor's Company B. That's an enormous range of, uh, of, of styles, repertoire, and, and artistry. So, and you have, you have to uh, do your, your, your very serious studying on first of what the counts are supposed to be and how the technique works. And um, you have to be very responsible on trying to guide your, your dancers on, you know, okay, you might feel like this would be the way that you would like to interpret sometimes, but this is not the style. This is not, like, for instance, you know, there are some ballads that you're, you are to smile and to have... It has, a, it has a feel-good music, like Serenade, but by all means, it's not a smiling ballet. It's a feel-good ballet, but doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go out there and just show your joy. Uh, the physicality and the technique are to show the joy and the beauty of the, of, of the choreography, and the music itself will do the smiling for you. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of give and take conversations of, of you know, okay, well, what interpretation is supposed to be, um, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're tackled with so many different choreographies, you know, we'll get to the studio and then there's a lot of questions, you know, what are the counts or how does this phrase of music go in the choreography? So I have to be with it and try to remember all the steps. But in reality, you know, um, dancers are so well-trained and especially the 
people in our company, they're brilliant. Um, they've, they've, they're so responsive with the material. And they're very, very quick to pick up. And as a ballet master, it's, it's, it kind of becomes difficult to remember sequences like you used to. Um, when, I, when I was dancing, I could pick something like that, and my body will speak for me. My, mod- my body will remember for me. But I, don't no, I no longer dance. I teach class, you know, and I sort of warm up, but nothing like with, you know, when Polly is dancing and I could throw something at her, and she will remember, and she will come back, and sometimes the music will give you a sensation. Isn't, isn't that way? Mm-hmm. Oh, the music definitely helps. Oh, yeah, the music definitely helps. So um, let's turn to Company B, because that's a, a ballet that you're performing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Paul Taylor ballet, and this is a revival of this um, really great but also very um, introspective, I think, ballet. So when you learn this ballet, how much subtext did um, the ballet master give the dancers? Um, there wasn't much given to us. I sort of knew what was going on um, because I, I have done it before when it was done, maybe 2005, or, and um, it might have been discussed then a little bit. Um, but each uh, section, uh, you know, we each were told a little bit about our particular section, I know. Um, but it's just so much fun, and the music is so great. Uh, I get to do rum and coke, which is so fun. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever danced. So when I knew we were doing it again, I got so excited. And um, each section is great. Like, it just makes you want to get up and dance. And, I mean, that's what you want a piece to do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So now, um, what is it about this piece that makes it particularly fun for you? Um, Well, the style, like, as you'll see, like, the costumes and the hair are very fun, and um, just the movement is very free, and you can really get into it. There's a lot of actual, you know, movement from that time period, and um, you just get to boogie down, you know. <laughs> so now, um, a ballet like that, when you work with your partner, now, of course, I know that you guys probably t- work out a lot of technical things, but do you work out a lot of the emotional or, you know, again, the subtext together? Um, yeah, I sort of find I just get on stage and whatever, you know, I'm feeling at that moment is what I do. Like in Rum and Coke, you know, there's a bunch of guys laying on the floor rolling around looking at me. And, you know, I don't have a certain guy at a certain moment that I look at. And I just take it as it comes and, you know... Whoever's the lucky guy that day, you know. I don't know. <laughs> it's an awfully fun piece to watch. Yeah. Now, had you ever heard of the Andrews Sisters before this ballet? I did, um, but I don't think I really knew what their songs were. Like, if their song came on or something, I'd like, oh, I know this song, but I don't know if I necessarily knew it was them, and now, of course, I do. Ricardo, um, so now... Do you rehearse that ballet, uh, Company B? Uh, no, that's Betsy Erickson. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. So when you do have a ballet that um, requires 
a lot of fast movement like that ballet does. I mean, particularly the first section, I think, is really quite quick, isn't it? All the poking around, and it's, like, really fast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's, like, exhausting to, you know, do during rehearsal. Do the dancers always do everything, like, full out um, for, like, all those hours that they rehearse? No, no, no. Um, you have to be very smart about your energy and about your body. You don't want to trash yourself. Um, currently, having uh, the season and opening two programs uh, in the, within the same week is quite demanding for everybody physically, mentally, and emotionally. So you try to spur people from having to really wear this, themselves within the first hour. Um, the main objective, um, it is to learn the material and to make sure that you're accurate and then to work on your travel zones. Um, the company at this point is an optimum physical and technical artistic shape. So it's really quite um, imp of, of great importance to spread the dancers to not be overworked. Um, the, the schedule could be very, very taxing. We take class, you know, 10.30 in the morning, um, like yesterday, and then we, we do some rehearsals for those who need the rehearsals, and then we jump into the performance. Like yesterday was a full balancing program um, with serenade, which is very, very demanding for the ladies. And then we go into violin concerto, which is a very different style. And then we go into theme and variations, which is quite um, difficult to perform. Um, and then we have a break. Everybody goes home, eat, rest, make up back on, tutus back on, and then you do the same show that night. So if there's an emergency, if there's a need of rehearsing, if there is... Um, if there is a rehearsal for the following um, uh, program, then you want to not have everybody do full, everything full out, unless you're not on that, that day. So thinking and talking to the dancers and knowing where they're at physically is very, very important. You have to pace yourself. Um, if you're just joining us, we're in conversation today with soloist Polly McGarrick and uh, ballet master and artistic. Uh, assistant to the artistic director, Ricardo Bustamante. And in a few minutes, we'll open it up to your questions. But, Polly, how do you keep yourself healthy and re well-rested during the season? Uh, well, sleep is very important, which isn't always possible, especially if you have a night show and you get home and you're kind of wound up, and then it takes a while to get to sleep, and then you have to wake up early for class. So it gets harder during the season uh, massage, acupuncture, you know, eating good food and a lot of water, Advil. <laughs> now, you're terribly busy during the season, but what do you do when you do have time to relax? Um, go see movies, read. Uh, I love to cook. Um, what do you like to cook? Oh, anything. <laughs> Um, go for long walks in this beautiful city, and uh, I don't know. It's normal stuff, pretty much, if I Absolutely. can. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Now, Ricardo, um, the ballet master has a pretty tough schedule during the season as well. How do you get your assignments for each of the ballets? Uh, well, that's entirely up to Helgi Thomason. Um, he decides uh, what ballets uh, you do according to your, your dance experience um, and your ballet mastering experience with other ballets that are similar within style. Um, 
It also has to do with, with the report with the choreographers. You know, if that person, you know, uh, say, William Forsythe comes, and, you know, I've, I've danced several Forsythe ballets before. We have a relationship um, during my dancing years, and then he's happy I'm here, and he, he knows what, the, you know, what he will be demanding. So there is already a train of thought that it's much appreciated when you, um, when you get into the studio to try to teach ballet. Um, yes, background is, is very, very, very important. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times, you know, Helgi will, will ask uh, for several ballet masters to be present uh, for one given ballet. Like, for instance, uh, theme and variations. Um, Elise Bourne uh, was responsible for staging it and, and coaching it. But uh, the ballet is so big, you know, you may need to send the demi-soloist to one room and then the soloist to another and then the corps of the ballet in another room. So it requires uh, more than one uh, ballet master. And for the big ballets like Swan Lake, I would imagine most everyone's involved with those. Everybody's involved, yeah, 24-7. <laughs> yeah, I was just reflecting this morning thinking, you know, the, the season started with Swan Lake, like one of the most important classical you know, ballets, and now we're seeing this program, you know, that has uh, Jerome Robbins and a world premiere, you know, Ghosts, um, and Company B, and talk about diversity, and then there's this whole balancing program that opened this week as well. So it really is a wonderful example of the diversity of this repertory. Yeah. Um, um, also, I'd just like to point out that Ghost is the 11th work that Christopher Wilden has created for, for San Francisco Ballet. We're very, very, very proud to, um, to have him, you know, create so many works, and I think it's a great vision from, from Helgi to... Uh, to have, help him develop as a, as a choreographer. And uh, just every time he creates a work for us, you know, I'm, I'm stunned at, at the way his mind works. And um, this, this particular piece is, is quite amazing because it is an abstract work, although when you look at it, you can have your own interpretation. Um, there is a, a ship, uh, a shipwreck, uh, when the curtain goes up, and then it begins to fall apart. Meantime, the dancers are in a very dim light, um, staring at the shipwreck. And within the first few chords um, in the music, you, you, you begin to wonder and you begin to generate your own story. And I love it because he, um, he dares to challenge you as, as, as an audience that doesn't necessarily give you a literal interpretation of what his ballet is about, but you can pretty much start figuring out, you know, there, there's, there's trios and there's potatoes and there's couples and there's all this core, the ballet movement, and they really, really dance a lot. And through it, you can, as, as the shipwreck begins to unfold, then you can, I don't know, my story, the way I see it, you know, they're, they're sort of, they have the shipwreck and they're, they're, they're staring as they, they are drowning and they're trying to sort out the relationships and they're trying to to figure it out, um, how to have one last word before they, they die. Um, it's, it's not literally what Christopher, because I asked him, you know, what would it be? And he said, it's an asterisk ballet. But to me, you know, it has many, many different interpretations. And every time I watch it, I go, oh, I see something else. And that's, that's what a um, contemporary abstract work really challenges the dancers they have to find their own way, really, because there is no specific story or character that they're given. So you just really 
have to kind of come up with your own ideas. Polly, can you tell us about a ballet that you've worked on where um, you had to kind of create a little backstory or some things that you knew who you were in the ballet? Well, I think any abstract ballet, you kind of do that to whatever you feel. Um, Like, I think of Double Evil. There wasn't, you know, a a story, but... um, with each of my partners that I had throughout the ballet, we had a different kind of feeling uh, whenever we touched each other. Because there was the really fast movement, and then it went into a slow, and that was more romantic. And, you know, maybe the faster part, we were fighting, or, you know. So you figure things out like that in your mind. But you have to have something going on. You can't just be blank. So um, we have a few minutes. We could open up to your questions. Yes, ma'am. The question is, how does a dancer prepare uh, for the first rehearsal for a ballet? Well, if the ballet has already been done, you usually go and get a video and kind of take a look at it so you know what you're in for. Um, and if it's, you know, brand new and never been done, you just, you know, just go in there as prepared as you can, and, um, you know, you really don't know what's going to happen, so, but you try to be, you know, going in there knowing something about what's going to happen. Other questions? Yes, ma'am. I'm going to generalize that question. Um, Let's say you know that you're going to be working uh, in a new ballet and you're aware of the music that's going to be used. Will you go hear the music prior to the first rehearsal? I think a lot of dancers do do that. Um, If it's brand new like that, yeah, it's probably, I mean, you're curious. I'm sure, you know, you, you want to know what it's going to be like. So I would say yes. Other questions? The question is, um, we'd like to hear Ricardo's uh, personal interpretation of Artifact Suite. Oh, man, what a bombshell. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely one of my most absolute um, ballets to be ballet master for. Um, The ballet was actually conceived as a three-act ballet. And what we have seen um, uh, two years ago, it's the second act. Um, There is no story to it, although the tall lady who was played by Mary Maffrey, uh, she's called a mud woman. How do I (laughs) tell you? Why do I tell you who she is? (laughs) Um, It's really, truly abstract. Um, There is no story to it. It helps, it helps to really um, create image, imagery in your mind to help you survive the movement. I'll play myself. You go, you go through choreography that is so difficult physically to achieve. To achieve. We'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a madhouse inside there. <laughs> um, so you've, you, you try to, you know, you prepare physically, but then, but then also 
There are moments where, where you might be able to take a deep breath or, or to gauge yourself where you really push with all the impetus you've got or sometimes where you just slow down and try to calm yourself down. In that calming yourself down, a lot of the imagery can come in. You can think of clouds, you can think of wind, you can think of anything that makes you feel good, your cat. Um, and then when you really have to propel in, you know, to make sure that you're accurate, I don't know, you've, 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 you've just got to think of yourself as Superman. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of self-talk when you're dancing, especially during the rehearsal. By the time you get to the stage, all of that, that thought process and all that psychology that you've applied to help you understand how your body is going to handle comes into game. And sometimes, not all the time, but you're free of thought when you're there. But then you see how you've actually elaborated um, your dance and why you may have different shades and colors and, and energy to it. Other questions? Yes, ma'am. Uh, the question is, in many ballets, the dancers wear wigs and headpieces and other things. How do you get them on so that, you know, when you're whipping your head around, they don't fly off? It's a very good question. Oh. <laughs> you're the one with tall wigs. My wigs have never been that <laughs> um, Well, we have a hair department downstairs that secures them in for us very well, uh, hopefully. Um, and, you know, it's our job to tell them if they don't feel secure. And I usually tell them to put way more pins in than are needed. Because, but there is a system. Oh, well, they wrap our hair up um, in, like, pin curls, and then they do a wig cap. They pin the wig cap to our actual hair, and then they pin the wig to the wig cap, which is to the hair. And then they, yes. they, they glue it. Yeah, sometimes they have to glue it. And drill it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and then you sometimes have a hat that you have to put on. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Lots of pieces. <laughs> you might find it interesting that if you have, like in Swan Lake, um, everybody had head pieces. So the schedule begins from an hour and a half prior to the show. And everybody's scheduled within 50-minute gaps for you. like, you know... Everybody gets to get in their headpieces, and it's a lengthy, lengthy process, and everybody must be punctual because otherwise we'll start late. Time for one more question. Yes, ma'am. In addition to, of course, the physical nature of ballet, what other conditioning do you do? Uh, well, I'm a big fan of Pilates. I definitely do that. There's a lot of girls that are into yoga. Um, then, I mean, the guys, they're in there riding the bike, and girls too, uh, lifting weights if they need to bulk up um, to lift us. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of different um, body conditioning going on that our dancers really take advantage of. Well, we have to stop, but... Thank you so much, Ricardo and Polly, for bailing me out here Thank and joining you. me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.